White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Right after, grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 on Twitter if you want to follow me. Chris Tannehill is at his name, Chris Tannehill, and Locked On Sox is there at Twitter, Instagram, and go to YouTube and follow us there so when we drop videos, you'll be First to know if you hit a, the notifications bell. 312-566-8727 is the way you can leave us a voicemail. 312-566-8727. And I already see we have some after that great series or doubleheader sweep of the Boston Red Sox. Sorry, I'm not supposed to give that up already. Oh, well, hold on. People don't know I, yet. They're listening. Forget- they have no idea what happened to our Sox. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Oh, man. LockdownSox at gmail.com is the way you write us an email. But without any further ado, it's Chris Tanhill. How you doing? Oh, doing well, Herb. Happy Monday, everyone. Happy Patriots Day to you, Herb. I don't know what that means. Um, well... If you guys are, if you're one of the early birds that are checking us out after our midnight release here of the of the show, uh, don't oversleep because the Sox are playing at 10 a.m. Central Time today in honor of Patriots Day. And you may be asking yourself, what is Patriots Day? I thought we would get to this later in the show, but uh, Patriots Day is a holiday they celebrate in New England, and uh, it's an annual event. They usually have the Boston Marathon surrounding it. That explains those hideous jerseys that the Red Sox were wearing this weekend. Oh, my God. So, so wait, wait. They take a day off to celebrate Doug Flutie in them? That's weird. No, you silly goose. Not in the New England Patriot football squadron. The Patriots of our nation. The Founding Fathers. You know, Revolutionary War and all that. So, Mm. uh, you know... uh, uh, Yeah, so every year around... I mean, Boston would... Good job, Boston. Yeah. So, you know, the, the Patriots Day is, is celebrated uh, around, like, I think it's the, was it the, I don't know how they figure it out, but it's like whatever the final Monday is. Maybe it's not even the final Monday, but it's around this time uh, mm-hmm. every April. And it uh, it's commemorating the battles of Lexington and Concord and the Battle of Monotomy. Uh, those are the first battles of the American Revolutionary War. Now, the battles of Lexington and Concord, that was the first. Uh, ever military engagement between the colonies and the and the uh, British soldiers, the Redcoats, if you will. So that's why they celebrate. It was like the the first the big bar fights of our nation's history. So Boston loves a good bar fight, so they celebrate that every year. And it's sort of like the uh, you know our the, the United States of America is born out of that battle right there. So that's what Patriots Day is, and that's why it's such a big deal uh, to uh, I guess uh, Northeast culture. And that's why we have to wake up and and watch the White Sox uh, with with our morning coffee uh, and beat the hell out of the Boston Red Sox. The Carmine. That'd be great. That'd be great. I'll take it. We'll preview the uh, the final game of the four game set a little later on in the show. But a uh, big day for the Sox yesterday, Herb, as the Sox have done something they 
hadn't done in 11 seasons, which you mentioned, it's sweep a doubleheader in Boston. Uh, I'm trying to remember, I worked both ends of that doubleheader at the Score Studios in downtown Chicago that day. I'm trying to remember, was that when Joe Ostrowski got married? No, Joe in got t- married. No, Joe got married off season. I remember it was like close to my birthday, I believe. Okay. It was like November of one of those years. Was so it Chris Chris Collins getting married? Somebody it got might have ma- been Chris Collins. Someone got married and I and I worked both games and it was fine. I was happy to do it. But yeah, yeah, because Joe's wet Joe's wedding got- I was at. So yeah. Maybe- yeah. And it was a Friday too, Joe got married. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was twenty ten. Uh, last time the Sox took two in one day in Boston. They win the first one three to two, Bill Walton. The White Sox win. Print the banner. Line up the parade. Michigan Avenue on the Studge Turkle Bridge, Division Street. Let's go. And we're going to talk about all the good things that happened with the doubleheader sweep today, but we want to let you guys know this episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use our promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED15, and you will get 15% off your next order. We're waiting on our uh, our last order, Herb. We're getting our shipment to the station soon, and I'm getting my personal shipment to my home any day now. So I'm very excited because I'm starting to be tempted with bad choices around here. We're gonna have the Pulp Fiction scenario where it's not necessarily the same thing. Oh no, we, we've gone away, and when we arrive back to the Score Studios, our food will be waiting for us. So our oh. built bars will be there. They've already sent out the emails to me that our built bars will be there. You know, a little different. I love going to the bathroom and then my food is arrived back when I'm uh, at the table. Man, there were so many different lanes there when you said a Pulp Fiction scenario. That's not the first one that jumped in my head, uh, believe it or not. But uh, anyway, uh, such is Hyperder- life. Hypodermic needle? What are you thinking? Uh, I mean, there's, you know, I was, you know, getting shot while sitting uh, on the commode, <laughs> you know, being in Zed's pawn shop there, uh, anything. Uh, maybe it's my pot. Are you looking at my pot? I want the pot belly. Um, Blueberry so- pancakes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where it said, <laughs> it's dead, baby. I had to crash that Honda. Uh, I actually used that line in real life one time when I, I was driving my wife's uh, Honda Civic back in the day. Uh, I was driving through around on Division, I believe it was. And it was a snowy day, and I was going a little bit too fast and uh, lost control of the vehicle and smashed into a pole. And it wasn't Nick Shepkowski or Joe Ostrowski. Uh, <laughs> smashed into a pole, and, and I totaled her Honda. And I told her, I sorry, baby, I had to crash that Honda. <laughs> so like that's one of the few times that a line from Pulp Fiction can be used in real life. But we upgraded and got a much bigger, safer automobile. But uh, anyway, we're just jibber-jabbering here. It's our first show of the week. And uh, let's start with the uh, Game 1's win, shall we? Sox win it 3-2. to two. Thank you, Bill Walton. And uh, I, you know, a couple big takeaways from this game for me. Tim Anderson returned. He, you know, he came back at the end of that Cleveland series. But uh, his presence in the lineup should not be overlooked. So he returns in. And uh, gets himself a hit, I believe, uh, in Saturday's game. It looked a bit overmatched, but then he got back into the groove on Sunday. He went three for four. He got rest in game two and had himself a little soft serve ice cream. Oh, he deserved it. You saw him there in the dugout eating that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he set the tone at the very beginning of game one on Sunday. Tanner Houck faces Tim Anderson, and we are ready for the first pitch of baseball today from Fenway. And Tim swings to fly it to right center. Kike Hernandez watches it go. Tim Anderson's first home run ever came at Fenway, and now on the first pitch, he's got a 1-0 Sox lead today. 
So T.A. creeps up the uh, White Sox leaderboard of leadoff home runs. I I believe he is tied with Adam Eaton at this point, but they are 10 behind Ray Durham, the most Mm -hmm. leadoff home runs in White Sox franchise history. So, I mean, how awesome is it to get T.A. back, and now he's swinging the bat a little bit with his three hits uh, in the first game? Something that the Sox are going to need here uh, in order for the Sox to sort of have this team and full realization of what they're going to be. T.A.'s got to be a huge part of it, and they're just such a different team when he's up there at the top of the lineup setting the tone. Exactly. It fills out the rest of the lineup in the correct form. And I thought that ball off the bat was a nice, solid double. Never in my wildest imagination thought he had enough pop to go oppo pretty much right center field uh, first pitch, and Tim just ambushed that dude. I was like, all right, Timmy, you got that power, and I shouldn't doubt him anymore. The man every year shows up with a better new skill of hitting the ball hard or fielding a little bit better. He's improved his game tenfold from when he came in 2016, where he had his first homer, as Jason uh, intimated there. Timmy is the straw. We, I, I say it, and we say it all the time. He's a straw that stirs the drink. And with him at the top of the lineup, while you don't have Aloy, I think this is the more important piece to everything. He fills out the rest of the lineup. He sets the tone. He's just the the engine starter for the White Sox. Yeah, you, how do you feel if you're Adam Eaton when you he was the straw that stirred the drink in the uh, in the former iteration of the White Sox back before Tim even came up? Uh, he was the straw that stirred the drink, and now here he is batting behind him. I'll get to another important piece of this lineup that came through big time a little bit later, but uh, Dallas Keuchel in Game 1 goes five innings, gives up six hits and only two runs. He finally looked more like the Dallas Keuchel that we saw in 2020. Yes, that's what I was been looking for for a long time. And this Boston team, I think he, they came into the series as the best hitting team in baseball, at least scoring the most runs. And Dallas Keuchel, for the most part, shut him down, had a little trouble at the end of his start. But, yeah, I'm very impressed with what he's doing. Even the last start where he didn't you know, throw that many pitches and got taken out early, I thought, um, I think he's – rounding more into form the 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 early the first starts weren't his best representation or what he's really gonna do and he's probably not the guy that showed up last year and had a sub two era somewhere in the middle of that guy and this was more of that guy that we're gonna be seeing more more often than not yeah let's not forget he missed considerable time in spring or not with injury but he was just pushed back and so, like, he's just now maybe starting to get into rhythm a little bit. You know, like, he did not look sharp in the spring, and he didn't look sharp out of the gate. But I think maybe finally he's into that rhythm of, okay, it's time to bear down for 162, and I, I think he's he's right there. But he just he just looked good. Control. To, yeah. to be fair to him, that last start he had was when he took over, like, last second for Carlos Rodon. Yeah. And it did a sub start and where he had pitched the day before in the bullpen, and or not on the game, but he did his bullpen as they call it, but he had a five days rest in between. And so he uh, pitched that day and surprised. And that was a good effort. He gave me pretty much the same thing. Five innings pitch. I think he gave up three earned in that one. This one was only two earned. And the bullpen, you know, it hammered it down coming in for Keiko, Aaron Bummer and uh, Liam Hendricks come on in and close it down. But uh, a big part of this ball game here, you know, Sox, you know, the, the bats weren't really getting the job done. But so this was a tight game against a, a pretty good team in the Red Sox. And one of the other guys that's going to have to be relied upon here if the Sox are going to be what they're going to end up being 
uh, and we think that's a top-tier team in the American League, is Yohan Moncada. Now, he only goes one for three in game one, but his hit was a big one. It was an RBI uh, single with uh, two outs, making it a three-to-one game. Kike Hernandez eventually comes up later, so that single by Yohan ends up being the uh, the game-winning run scored there. And then in the bottom half of the inning, he turns that slick-ass double play off the bat of Ploiecki, and then he does the same thing, gets another double play started to Martinez in the sixth. So you are seeing that is the top 10 player in the American League, Yohan Moncada right there, doing it on, on both ends. You know, putting himself some good at-bats together, and, you know, granted, only the one hit in game one, but then – you know, bringing that out to the field with him. And, you know, he, he, he had a tough hop earlier on in that game as well where, uh, you know, yes. he, where he tried to barehand it and throw in one motion, but it just kind of took a funky hop. There was a lot of – And that was do or die. He had to do it yeah, with a bare hand. There's a lot of just weird hops and weird angles in this series so far and a lot of, you know, weak contact, bloops dropping in. It's just kind of an odd series. But if, if the Sox are going to end up being a 90-win team and, you know, they this – is what it's going to look like when you have T.A. at the top and then Yohan Moncada is going to have to start coming through. But that was a huge hit and a big spot for Moncada there. Yeah, really big spot. And I, you know, this year hasn't been his best. And so at that time, I was like, ah, uh, I didn't want him up there at the time, even though he's kind of rounding into form. But he came through. The guy is still Yohan Moncada. He believes in himself. And he can say it's early. You know, I'm not used to this uh, cold weather. It snowed the other day. That that shit doesn't happen where I'm from. And so I got to get warmed up. As the weather warms up, I'll warm up and I'll get my uh, get my knocks. I know Jose Abreu is uh, notoriously, you know, warms up later on the year. So uh, I believe that Johan also has to feel like, man, my bat will be fine. But, you know, my glove plays 365 all the time. I'm in there. And that double play he turned, man, not enough credence was given to him. It's a tough hop. And he, like, pretty much snags it, pivots, and throws a rocket right to Lori Garcia, like, right on the bag. Like, those things are really hard to do all in one motion. And he did that stuff with so much flair, but so much, uh, like, ease. He, like, it's like second nature to him. It's good to see the guy back to being that player on defense. Even though he didn't take off necessary last year, I don't think we saw that type of spectacular play that often last year. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'll say this. You know, in, in today's version of baseball where it's pretty much all or nothing most of the time, strikeout or home run, I really like the construction of, of this lineup. I've talked about balance all off season, but I believe that the, the White Sox have the versatility in their lineup where they can win three to two games, uh, such as evident as evident as the first game in the doubleheader on Sunday. But I just really like the fact that they, they're they're not selling out all the time trying to hit home runs. I mean, your mean is up there doing your mean things, and we'll get to him in a second. <laughs> but that's fine. Like you know, your boppers are supposed to do that. You know, but I think once this thing gets rolling a little bit, like you said, when the weather gets a little bit warmer, I like the the balance and the versatility of this lineup. Like I think they do have the capabilities to win tight ball games like this. What do you think? Yeah, me too. And uh, it takes guys who are subbing in and we know Tony likes his subs to come through. And in that first game, we had Jake Lamb come through to start that inning off and he scores what eventually becomes the winning run. That's what we need. We need guys not kicking ass, not doing you know the impossible, but when you're called upon show up. Show up in left field and catch everything that's hit to you. 
and then, you know, contribute with a hit. And he got his first White Sox hit and scored his first. Well, I don't know if he scored his first White Sox run, but there was a good uh, example of a substitute ready to play and does a good job when he gets in. And maybe that's part of what Tony LaRusso is doing here in getting these guys involved active early. I mean, we Ozzy was was notorious for that, like with his quote-unquote Sunday lineups that people ragged on even when they were on their way to a World Series and a division title in 08. But getting guys in the mix so they're not cold when, it's, when, they, when God forbid, you get an injury that, that has a guy playing when he didn't think he was going to. Like, I think maybe there's a method to this where he's trying to make sure everyone's ready and you know getting people in, in the mix. So I think they will be able to sustain stuff like that as more guys start to hit around them. But Jake Lamb looks like a baseball player, doesn't he? When he did you see that shot of him out in front of the Green Monster out there? He had his shades on. He just I remember Joe Madden talking about Ryan Cordell, talking about that's what the type of guy you look for in scout school. Like he just looked like this is I'm a baseball player, man, and my name is Jake Lamb. And he did a pretty nice job out there and left. Yeah, he did. I enjoy, uh, didn't mind him in left. And actually, I wouldn't mind him in left over the great Nick Williams. If it was Jake Lamb over... Cleared uh, waivers, Vaughn. Herb. Cleared waivers. Oh, God. He could be to the minor site. Damn it. But like, if it was him, I would have been like, I get it. Tony was seen, saw Jake Lamb be good in the major leagues at one time. Yeah. So that kind of makes sense. I wouldn't have liked it, but I would have said, okay, this guy has had major league success where Tony has witnessed it. And he was batting third in that game versus the White Sox. So somebody thought he was decent enough. And that's why I was so mad at Nick, Nick Williams being there. I was like, that man is no good at all and never had success at anything, not in the majors. So why are we starting him? So, yeah, it's good to have a guy like that come off the bench and serve many roles. Like you can play left and probably can play right. Not well with the arm, but play the corner infielder spots and maybe give you some middle infield time too. So the versatility there, him and Lori, I think are also a, you know, redundancy, but a redundancy you can afford because I think there's 28 men on the roster. So you're good for now. We're going to take a quick timeout. And on the other side, we'll break down game two's victory over the Boston Red Sox here on lockdown white Sox. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our new friends, a new sponsor. Welcome on into the show, 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by the 10 most distinctive designers working today. Rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring, ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece. They're the perfect way to bring light into her life, and she deserves it, doesn't she, folks? They're available now through Mother's Day only, only at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Search the words 10 by 10. This collection features high-quality fine jewelry that will surprise and delight, and they're fairly priced so you can give her something special and truly meaningful. I'm on BlueNile.com right now, and one design that stuck out to me is number five, Lola Fenhurst. This designer out of Paris has crafted a quiet yet luxurious ring with beautiful ascending beads, which is a good metaphor for a union. You can purchase that ring at the 10 by 10 collection now at BlueNile.com. That's the number five, Lola Fenhurst out of Paris. If you're on the hunt for the perfect unique ring she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at Bet Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. 
Football's over. Baseball's just getting going here. You've still got the NBA going. Lots of good opportunities to make some money in the NHL as well every single night at Bet Online. As a matter of fact, Herbie, Bet Online even covers award shows, TV shows, reality TV, and other types of entertainment. Yeah, I'm looking right now at the hot dog eating contest. BetOnline.ag has an entertainment section for the competitive eating. Right now, they have a bet up for Joey Chestnut eating over or under 74 and a half <laughs> hot dogs in the hot dog eating contest. Whew, friends. Um, I, I love 70- that. Should we do some more research on that one before? We- I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know his records like in the 70s, yeah. but he's getting older. Like, I think he he got his 75 is the last year's um, hot dog eating championship. So he's got that record already. I don't know if there's impetus. He keeps on breaking his own record. I don't know if there's impetus for him to keep on doing it because there's no one close to him. So he's battling against himself. To eat 75 hot dogs in one sitting is ridiculous. So I'm going under on that one. I'm going under for Joey Chestnut, 74 and a half hot dogs in the hot dog eating contest. Ooh, boy. Yeah, I'll have to do some more research here before I make my decision and plunk my money down at betonline.ag. But they've got everything. You can bet on... Uh, who's going to win the 2024 election already. You can place a futures bet on that. If you're into the markets, you can bet on how well or how poor the market's going to do on a daily basis. There's a lot of interesting things and lots of different ways to make money at betonline.ag. The odds are updated in real time, and there's props on almost anything you can imagine, as I just said. It's got you covered for the news, scores, and odds, and BetOnline is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up, best of all. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus for your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts and do not forget our promo code locked on when you sign up and get your 50 percent bonus at bet online get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the locked on today podcast host peter bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts follow the locked on today podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast so let's move on to game two it was kind of a I enjoy seven-inning doubleheaders when the Sox win. I'm just going to say that right now. It's a very controversial opinion. But, my favorite is doubleheaders. Yeah, but I felt better about the Sox going into this one with, with the lead late in the game because it was seventh innings. Like you, There was less opportunities for things to go wrong with the defense or with the bullpen. And we're going to get to the issues <laughs> in Saturday's game in a second. It was brought up in our in our voicemail. But, yeah, it was. I felt good about this one going in. And when you win that first game, I forgot. I think maybe it was Ozzy or Gordon Beckham in his maroon suit. He looked like a gangster, young Henry Hill, on the Sox postgame show. But they were talking about how you get that first win and these short doubleheaders, it really puts a lot of pressure on, on, the, on the team that lost game one. And it looked like it. It looked like the Red Sox were a little tight in game two. But it did not help them that they had Michael Kopech on the bump on the other side of them, and the Sox win game two, 5-1, to one, Bill Walton. The White Sox win, print the banner, line up the parade, Michigan Avenue on the Studge-Turkle Bridge, Division Street. Let's go. So before the game, though, the Sox announced that Lance Lynn was going to the IL with a strained right trapezius uh, for 10 days retroactive to the 17th. And uh, Tony said after the game that had it been September or October, he would have gutted through it, but they're just trying to be cautious with him. He said... Uh, I felt a little discomfort Lance Lynn did during that Cleveland start. I thought it was kind of weird that they chose to do it today, um, but such is life. It, you know, kind of a, a, a bit of a blow, but he's going to miss one start, it looks like, for Lance Lynn. So let's get to this game here. 
Sox win five to one. You, you think it's going to be Jonathan Stever starting because they they called him up from Schaumburg, and the, the whole morning I'm just walking around, I'm just ruminating about baseball things, and I'm like, man, it would be awesome to see Michael Kopech come in and start that game. It's a short game as it is. You won't have to deviate from your plan with him. You, you know, you know, even if he's cruising, like you, he's not going to go uh, all nine, and he knows that. But you chop the game, you know, chop the off the last three innings, and all of a sudden the last two innings, all of a sudden you have something a little bit more manageable where you could say, oh, let's start Michael Kopech. And that's what they did, Herb. And, man, Kopech looked really good today. The stuff wasn't plus-plus like we've seen in relief, but it was really good. There was 97, he threw a 98, topped out at with some movement, and he just looked really good today. And it was hard not to get excited thinking about Michael Kopech, you know, next year. Like, what, what's he going to look like next year? But today, against his former team, I love my narratives and I love my comeback stories. Like, you know, maybe he had a little extra juice going for him, but he had no problems with that top offensive lineup in the American League. No, not at all. And I'm sure – this was some of the plan. Like, okay, let's give this guy a reward. Go against his former team for the first time in their ballpark. You know, they faced him, I think, in 2018 back at guaranteed rate. But, yeah, like a big F you. Like, thank you for giving us this guy. And, you know, the guy we talked about earlier, uh, he's uh, shining at the with the bat and the glove. Yeah, thanks for him, too. So uh, let's do another little F you to the Red Sox. I know they didn't think like that, but also they know that Michael Kopech could not be touched today. Uh, he did give up an earned run where Foster inherited another runner. I thought that Tony maybe kept him out there a little too early after he gave up that first hit in the fourth. He should have been uh, taken out, but, you know, whatever. But Kopech, it's good to have him. And you're talking about next year for Kopech starting. It's. I'm telling you, Tanny. You think they're ramping up? But he's going to be starting by the end of the year. He will be. They're ramping him up. All right. He was two innings the first couple of weeks. Now it's the three innings. And I know this was a start, and he was an opener. But I think they're ramping him up just so if Cease keeps on doing Cease things, it's going to be Michael Kopech taking that spot. They're out of there, out of the business of coddling. People who earn the spot will get the spot, and they see how good Michael Kopech is, and they want to stretch him out and see if he'll be good for maybe August, maybe September, and that'll be great for us. I'm here for it, man. Like I hope you're right. You know, like we already debated the semantics of starting. What does starting a game mean? You know, we we saw him make a start yesterday. Like, is it starting with the intentions of going deep in a game? Like that's that's what you think ultimately they're ramping up for. I remember that's what Rickon said in in spring training like that they were trying to get him so he has meaningful innings in in September and October so I, I I you know it's an event when he's out there man like if he's coming in from the bullpen or if he's starting a game I, I feel like his value is maximized though if he's starting a game as opposed to coming in for two innings a couple times a week going five six innings in a start where he has more control over the, over the game that day and getting a victory that day like I think that's better suited for his value but the only question is uh, what do they what do, what do the medical people think and you know you are in uncharted waters here in terms of that stuff so yeah i'm i'm here for it man i hope so because whenever he's out there herb like i i just his his air of calm when he's out there like you could tell me hey it's uh game seven of the world series today and michael kopech starting i'm like all right cool because i know he's not gonna freak out like he was yeah. he like old michael kopech like quote unquote old michael kopech 
who would throw the shit out of the ball, like Don Cooper used to say. Like, you know, maybe he would have tried to overdo it today, and maybe he did do it a little bit last time he faced Boston. But today in Fenway Park, it looked like he was not trying to overexert himself at all. He was in full total command out there. He did have the, his little strut after after punch outs here or there, the, the confident strut. He's in total control out there. And I, we talk about this all the time. But if you said to me, Kopech starting uh, an elimination game for you in the playoffs and it's win or go home. And I'd have no problem with that. Like he just gives me such, you know, comfort and confidence when he's out there on the mound. And you have to feel like the guys behind him feel the same way. Oh, yeah. And whatever it took for him to get to this point, it feels great because, you know, that he had his struggles when he was in the Boston system and a couple of times when he was the White Sox and getting the ball where he needed the ball to be command and control were a little off. Now I have no troubles with either command or control with the kid. He knows what he's doing out there. And this time off, maybe, um, maybe being with Ethan Katz, all the different factors. There's a different pitcher out there. Like that mentality, the stuff, the stuff is always there, but the mentality, the stuff, the know-how, like he hasn't pitched in the majors for a long time. Like he pitched for like two months and he was out. And maybe the observing is also helping him out because he knows that when he did get that taste, there were there weren't people hitting him hard. They weren't just serving his stuff. It was just him not or limiting himself. So probably in this time, he's gotten a chance to work on himself, his own body and his mind and got his mind and body to work for uh, a championship effort. Because whenever he's out there, like like when they said he's starting, I was like, let's go. Like, like you, if they said he was starting in game seven, I would feel a little weird, though, Danny, because, you know, <laughs> not ready yet. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah. His his mind, he's not going to be that moment's not going to be too big for him. Yeah. And I understand that. So, yeah, I think by the end of this year, they'll have him starting and not because, you know, they'll need him because he'll take the job and they'll say, wow, we need this guy starting every fifth game to help us win. And maybe in the playoffs, he's that guy we go to if one of these guys struggle. If we don't see Dallas Keuchel recover from being a, just a mediocre pitcher, maybe it's Michael Kopech who goes in front of him. That's how good this guy is this year. Speaking of good and a guy that uh, we were not necessarily counting on at the beginning of the year, um, our guy, Herb. Who else could it be but? I'm on a mission for dime pieces and sexy ladies. Allow me to introduce you to my... You're in Mercedes! Big Hurt called Chuck Garfine Mercedes Boy. And I cannot get that damn song out of my head ever since Frank Frank called him that. Start, start singing it, too. Well, that's what it is. Um, of course, the great song by Pebbles. Thank you, Pebbles. <laughs> yeah. So Frank calls Garfine Mercedes Boy, which is very clever. But I just cannot, I can't get that song out of my head for the life of me. So Mercedes Boy comes up and does this in Boston. Mercedes tags it to center field. Verdugo's got no play. It's way out of here. Your mean Mercedes smashes one out of Fenway Park. And it's 2-0 Sox. So 431 feet out there to left center field. 
109.9 exit velocity, and he did it all without taking any of TLC's money. So congratulations to uh, your mean Mercedes boy. But he's just – he is not – when he gets a hold of it, man, he does not miss it. It's, this is the running theme of us talking about your mean. Uh, you know, after – you know, getting just just broken off in the in the bat previous to that, where uh, he he got you know ninety five up chest high at the top of the zone. Uh, he he didn't look good there, but who would have looked good in that spot? But then he comes back, doesn't you know let that build from the previous mistake, and he comes back and just launches an absolute missile out there uh, just the day before Patriots Day. <laughs> I gotta say before we I answer that one. That TLC reference, about ten people got that. That's fine. But but those ten people <laughs> found it genius. That was tied it all in together. Let's go! Come on, Danny. That's awesome. Hey, that's what we do. Yes. Uh, uh, but yeah, um, when I saw that, I mean, I didn't let that audible scream about the four eighty one one he hit, but I was like, God damn. Yeah, you knew right like, away. I, yeah, I was like, God damn. And he looked like I was worried where it's gonna go. Like like if it was going to center field, would it go to that center field where it's still kind of fair? You hit off the big ass wall in center field, but no, it went enough to straight center where oof, mercy. I, I very few people go up there. That's real stuff. You saw Yoan Mankata the other day hit the ball four oh seven to center, and he thought he had every ounce of that ball. That's that's how hard it is to hit that ball straight center to uh, uh, Fenway Park, and he had no problems getting there at all. The man is just like when they do those rankings of 2080 for uh, or for rankings and such, or was it 2060? The, the scale, yeah the, yeah, the tool, the tool scale, yeah, yeah. And it's usually like oh, 50 for power. He's a whatever the highest is. I think it's 60. It, He's it, that. Give yeah. me the 60. It, yeah, it's it's ridiculous, man. So. You know, this guy, you're mean, you got to keep him in the lineup any way you can. You know, I would love to see him play a little bit out in the field, like the way you're rotating everyone else out there. It's it's kind of damning that they haven't, uh, you know, had him start behind the plate. You know, Zach oh, Coll- yeah. Collins is doing a nice job back there. He's not necessarily hitting right now. So I'm wondering if they're going to incorporate that into the fold in order to get uh, that bat uh, in the lineup and, you know, keep guys fresh with, you know, uh, Yasmani out there too. So it's, it's interesting. I would like to see him play a little bit more in the field to see how bad uh, is he really. <laughs> um, and can you withstand that if, God forbid, you have an injury there? Um, I've got to say he's got to be really terrible because they're not even trying him. And they've given Zach Collins like four or five starts behind the plate. It's yeah, like and he's and to his credit, he's been pretty good. Obviously, you oh, know, yeah. we did, we talked about him catching the no hitter the other day, but you know, framing still needs a little bit of a work, a little bit of work. But you know, just he's done a really nice job with the pitching staff when he's in there. You know, he's not gonna be Ivan Rodriguez back there by any means, but he's he's doing a competent job, which is more than I thought he could do. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like they've given him a lot, and he's not bad. He's pretty good. But like you would say. Wow, they're not giving their backups a lot of catching time because Yasmani is getting all this tick, but that's not the case. They're just all the tick they're giving is to Zach Collins, which is good, but you're mean, like you said. I don't know how bad he's got to be, but he's got to be really, really bad if they're sitting Yasmani and playing Zach Collins each time he's sitting out. 
I suppose here. I suppose you wouldn't want to just rock the boat here because if you know if he if he has a bad showing out in the field and he brings it to him in the batter's box, which I don't think he would, but you know you don't want to risk that type of situation. But you know, I you, think you would much rather do it early. And I say these all count. They do. But like you're gonna, at the end of this, when we talked about the problem, the good problem, the White Sox are going to have when Aloy comes back. And I think it's going to be coming back, what, five months. So probably at the end of the year, you're going to have to have one of these guys go out to the field. One of these guys, DH, and then one of them either sit down or be a backup catcher. So you're mean if he's still you're mean, he's not going to be this, but he'll still probably still hit. He has to find a niche, and I know if that of uh, um, damn, I forgot his name. Zach Collins, Vaughn is, oh, no, Vaughn, Vaughn's yeah. still on the team at that time. They're gonna want him to get at bats, not just sit on the bench, not learning things, which is our main problem there. I wonder if Andrew Vaughn is the is the first to get traded in that scenario. I wonder if they're gonna try to to ride the Yermin thing as long as they can ride it here. And, you know, you're going to have to give up something to get something, depending on what their needs are going to be at the deadline. But Andrew Vaughn may be the first guy that they're going to ask for, I think. And I'm wondering if we just if this is a, a moot point and we don't have to worry about Andrew Vaughn's future here. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome <laughs> if the guy goes somewhere else and gets 100% of the bats, either in left or first. He's shown he can play Major League left field and probably do a fine job. So if he either gets – left or first base somewhere else, and that gets us a starting pitcher or a position that we're in desperate need. Hopefully no more injuries, knock on wood, and we don't have to trade that way, but we're just trading to upgrade our current talent. Perfect, and I will never, ever hold anybody back for uh, Zach, I mean, uh, Andrew Vaughn to leave the White Sox. And if Zach Collins gets up his weight and he goes somewhere, my man Yarmin could be the backup catcher. Let's go, too. All right, so we I just got, want us to bat in the lineup. That's it. Absolutely. So Liam Hendricks comes on and hammers this one. So two saves in uh, one day for Liam. He was definitely just trying to get the hell out of the building uh, with that second save. I don't even know why he was out there. I don't know if it was because he was already warm. It was a non-save situation, which means he's probably – you know, he likes to pitch and he seems like a guy that just wants to be out there and he can you mentioned it too on the show before, like he doesn't mind being used a lot because of his previous experience as a starter. So I don't know if he's necessarily off limits for today's game. If the Sox are in that situation, you would think they would be. Uh, it's going to be a tight one with Giolito and Evaldi going, but you know, I, I'm wondering if he's going to be off the table for Monday, but I thought that was kind of uh, silly to put him out there. I, he only threw like, what, 10, 11 pitches? In eight that, pitches. Eight pitches. So, okay, yeah. under, yeah. So, you know, so maybe that, that maybe it's a null and void, or maybe it's another moot point, but I, what do you think? you think that Tony's going to have him available uh, today? I think it has to be. I mean, the fact that he only threw eight pitches in that appearance, I don't know how many he threw in the first appearance, but it wasn't that much where you're like, okay, he's been overworked. Obviously, they didn't think it was that much in the first appearance because they put him right back out there with the, the chance to pitch, what, 20, 30 more pitches there. The first game he pitched 16, so he's good. I think he's really good for the next day. That was just probably a bullpen warm-up for him, and it's early. It's a 10 a.m. start, so he'll probably be throwing at like one. So I don't know if that affects him, the different change, uh, the time change right there and getting back up from two start or from two relief appearances. But 
I would be having him out there if I need him for uh, a save. That'll be great. We'll take a quick time out here. We'll preview the rest of the week here on Locked on White Sox, and we'll open up the mailbag, the voicemail bag, that is, here on Locked on White Sox. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best-tasting protein bar ever. I've been telling you guys about Built Bar on this show for quite a while now, and i got to tell you, they've done wonders for me in my personal life. See, I gave up sweets and sugars and candies and cookies about a couple months back, and I've been using Built Bars to supplement those cravings because, let's face it, for people like me, I'm never going to totally kick the sweet cravings. They've gone down considerably since giving up those bad foods, but I've been supplementing with Built Bars, and they've really helped me keep me on track with my I don't want to call it a diet, but sort of like a lifestyle change. I've lost about 10 pounds over the past, you know, month and a half or so. Just, you know, eating the same foods I normally eat, but instead of those cookies and cakes and milkshakes, I just switch those out for Built Bars. And I'll sometimes have two Built Bars a day. I'll keep one in my desk at work, as I said before on the show. For the 3 o'clock hour or so, you need that little energy boost, right? So I keep one there at work, and then I have one after my dinner for a nice sweet dessert. And, you know, my favorite flavors coconut always right up there the german chocolate i think is really becoming my favorite flavor as well i just placed my latest order for my newest batch of built bars my 24 pack of built bars Uh, i ordered my favorites coconut i ordered cookies and cream which is another new one i tried when i ordered my last batch and it's really good the cookies and cream by the way 17 grams of protein and only 130 calories and i also am trying out a couple new flavors trying out salted caramel and peanut butter brownie. So I'm looking forward to those. Peanut butter brownie by far has the most grams of protein in the Built Bars, 19 grams of protein. So that'll really fill you up with only five grams of sugar. Do what I did. Go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKED15, and that's going to get you 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. That's BuiltBar.com. LOCKED15 is the promo code. So important. I've ordered before, and I forgot to put in our own promo code, so don't be like me. Be smarter than me, would you? Go to BuiltBar.com now. Enter promo code LOCKED15. Built Bar, it's the best-tasting protein bar ever. Be a waiver wire winner with the Locked On Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins. Follow Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I'm wondering a guy who didn't get work today, but he got overworked a little bit on Saturday is uh, Cody Horner, and um, we had a voicemail about this particular topic. Before I get into the voicemail here, how can people get us a message to our Locked on White Sox voicemail, or if they have an email, how can they do that? Emails to LockedOnSox at gmail.com, LockedOnSocks at gmail.com, and 312-566-8727 is the way you can leave a voice message. That is Harold Baines, A.J. Brzezinski, Mark Burley, Jorge Orta, Vincent Jackson, Bo Jackson, if you guys are new to this, Carlton Fisk and Timmy Anderson. All right, let's check out our first voicemail. That's about Saturday's loss, because I do think this needs to be talked about. Hey, Chris and Herb, this is Mark from Litchfield Park, Arizona. Just wondering what you guys think about Tony's handling of the bullpen. I think he might be worse than Renteria. Uh, This is a guy 10 years ago that would run five guys out there to get out of an an inning, uh, and now he leaves guys in much longer than they should be in. He's quick with the hook with guys he shouldn't be quick with the hook. I don't understand what's going on with this guy. Thanks. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a frustrating one on Saturday. We could be looking yeah. at a, ahead of a four-game sweep. But, you know, the Red Sox are a good team, and this happens. But Dylan Cease did not give you what you needed uh, on, on Saturday, four and two-thirds innings. Give it up just two runs, six hits. But ultimately, just you know, three walks, more of the Dylan Cease that uh, that we know and love. So Evan yeah. Marshall comes on, and then Cody Hoyer comes on, and he's left out there for an inning and two thirds. He gives up uh, three runs, all of them earned, striking out four, three hits, uh, gave up a home run in that one. But you know, it just he was out there for a really long time, and then if you know, this is a winnable game at that point. But then you have. Uh, Jose Ruiz coming out there for, for a third of an inning, uh, which is yeah. odd. He gave himself up an earned run as well uh, with three walks. So I think that's what our guy Mark's talking about there. But, you know, any any lingering thoughts for, you know, about Saturday's loss and the, and the bullpen usage there? You know, it, you know, I could see this going either way, really. This wasn't at that point. It was still a winnable game. You know, it was a back and forth type of day. But it's certainly the, the decisions that Tony made on Saturday were a little bit curious. Yeah, very curious. Um, I I tr- try not to uh, get too deep into managers and how they use the bullpen unless I feel like they didn't put the guys in the best positions to win. And the only problem with Tony I would have is, like the voicemail said, it was a one-run game when you put Ruiz in the game. You know that guy's not ready for that time. He's not at all. So... That is a thing that you got to save for either he's coming in early. If you switch Ruiz and Evan Marshall at the time, I think people are like, I don't like Ruiz in the game. But then they're like, you know what? This is the time that he should be in the game. Or like, this is the inning. At least people be like that. I would still be pissed because it was a high leverage situation at the time. You don't want him at the time. You don't want him pitching at the time or ever. But Tony was probably thinking, all right, we got a doubleheader on Sunday and an early game on Monday. I don't really want to go to this guy or this guy because I might need him for this double header or the game we got on Monday. So I'm going to see if Ruiz can get me one, give me a couple outs and get through and we can worry about if we win or lose this game later, but he can get me through this and we can just cruise uh, for the next couple days without using our real big, heavy hitters, even though we just use Cody Hoyer. So that's my only frame of reference of him and his thought process. I think it's still wrong. You can only win the games that you're playing in front of you. And we had plenty rest from Liam Hendricks or other players that are available that everybody would have been much rather see that. Even if Matt Foster comes there, who's lost a couple games to the White Sox, I think more people are like, all right, I like Foster there, even though it's a dirty inning. And again, on Sunday, Matt Foster comes in with a dirty inning. I just want him to have a clean inning to pitch and show how good he is because he did that uh, later on in that game on Sunday in the second game. But then um, I think everybody would have been in favor of Foster over Ruiz, any pitcher over Ruiz. Well, here's the thing about Ruiz, though. Like, you know, he stuff's been pretty good. He's been pretty it effective has. so far. So I'm wondering if it's but just – he walked the yard. No, no, I'm saying before before yep. Saturday. Like, you know, he had been pretty effective, and I for the stuff that I saw in spring training, he looked pretty sharp. And I'm wondering if this is just another situation where he's like, okay, like this may be a guy I need may need to rely on someday to give me a high leverage out, so I want to let him know what it feels like on the road – 
against a really good team and you know he certainly did not pass this challenge but I'm wondering if this is a move that's like not necessarily for that day's game but for some other time down the road because you know Tony loves playing the matchups man and I know it's a different game as uh, as our caller alluded to you know it's not the same game as it was 10 years ago when when Tony's going hitter for hitter matchup per matchup but I'm just wondering if this is the thing where he's like okay let me see what this kid has in a big spot right here and just so he can get that feeling out, out of the way because I think his stuff is good enough like we don't we don't talk about him a ton because he's your up by a lot down by a lot guy but the, mm-hmm. when, I, when I saw him out there this spring the stuff looked pretty good you know still still throwing high 90s breaking ball is pretty tight so his control I think is the big issue as you saw on Saturday here um, and you know the thing I had the problem with on Saturday more than Ruiz being in the game it was again constant thing with this guy's career Dylan Cease He's allergic to the fifth inning, apparently, or at least finishing the fifth inning. Versus Anaheim, four and two-thirds. Versus Kansas City, four and two-thirds. Versus Boston, four and two-thirds. And each one of those games, he has walked three hitters, each single one of them, three hitters. And the last two, he struck out six, at least. The first one, he only struck out three, so it was a one-to-one ratio. The guy, we're not asking for much. The five innings... Three earned, and that is not even a quality start, is the bare minimum I'm going to ask for Dylan Cease. And it's time. Like, this is his first year of being a major league pitcher for the whole year, and it's going 162. I understand that, guys. But he's on a championship caliber team. This four and two thirds puts a strain on the bullpen. We have to have discussions about Jose Ruiz at the end of the game or Cody Hoyer giving up three earned. If he does his job, then other things settle up and we can have that clean inning from Matt Foster coming in for the sixth inning. And then we can set up our bullpen need be like if we have Aaron Bummer, we can have Cody Hoare into Liam Hendricks. Those type of things work out well. I'm not asking for much. Five innings, get through it, three earned or less, and we're good. You know, I you know Dylan Seas was not great on Saturday by any means, but he did get hosed a bunch. And the strike zone was all over the place, and I, I was funny. I was oh, look, yeah. I was looking up the Gabe Morales scorecard because I saw it posted earlier today. So I searched Twitter for Gabe Morales to see if I could find it, and here's you uh, ranting and raving about Gabe Morales's incompetence, and you were tweeting at Ump Scorecards to get a scorecard for him, and they eventually did, and I believe it. They had him credited for giving uh, the Red Sox a, a cumulative, uh, almost nearly almost a, a run, an entire run. Yeah. yeah. So you know, so to, to be fair. Yeah, Dylan Seas has to be better, absolutely, but he didn't get any help, and I think that's what sucks when you're trying to. I couldn't imagine what a mind, you know, fuck that is like when you're trying to learn at the big league level, try to get competent hitters out, more than competent. With the Red Sox lineup's a good lineup, you're trying to get them out, you're making good pitches, and there's the umpire on the other side, like just not giving you those calls. It's got, it's got to be mentally exhausting, but that's why it's a major league baseball man. He's got to come out next time and uh, and and be better for sure. So. Uh, should we wrap it up here with a with a voicemail from uh, one of our favorites around here? Let's do it. All right. Let's see who we got. Hello, boys. Paul Correct here after a Sunday doubleheader sweep. Yes. I worked a long, busy weekend and was just delighted to be able to watch two games in the privacy of my own home today and also see two wins. Fantastic stuff. Pitching looks great. Michael Kopech looked great. Bullpen's looking a little better. Don't know why Tony La Russa doesn't know how to wear a mask. 
It's driving the insane. Real quick about that. Let me pause that. Tony's, oh, great. Tony's mask, by the way, you know, he started, he was a good boy. He was wearing the mask at the beginning of the season. I don't see why they have to wear a mask. They're all, well, although the twins, though, proving, uh, maybe everyone should still be wearing a mask all the time because the twins had some, you know, close contact and COVID issues this weekend. That's going to have them, there's their schedule a little messed up here. But Tony's mask, it's, going further and further down his his face like at first he was doing well covering the nose and the mouth but this series against the red sox i noticed maybe it was at the end of the indian series i noticed that nose is peeking out a little bit and now it's like going down further south of the border and now it's like the upper lip is is hovering above the top of the mask so tony's mask is slowly slowly inching its way off of tony's body which i guess it's like where are we in the pandemic like that like tony's mask's relation to where it is on his face maybe that could be used to track where we are in the pandemic so maybe that's a good sign that we're nearly at its completion but uh, here's the rest of paul sorry he's got like a little like a cup bra thing barely over his mouth like tony just just don't even bother just don't wear anything it's fine well look at your weird tan face um but yeah great day luis roberts looking better i just mm-hmm. which is awesome i think i'm falling in love with nikki two strikes uh, I don't know. I think I don't have a whole lot today other than just being happy. Oh, maybe Liam Hendricks should start considering not throwing the ball in the dirt. <laughs> I know he's technically got like, he's pitched two scoreless innings today, but wow. He's, the second game is a lot better when he just throws fastballs and doesn't throw the ball in the dirt. I know his slider is supposed to look like that and will commonly hit the ground, but that might come back to, to bite him in the ass. Uh, speaking of things like that, our guy Danny Mendick, I have to say this, Danny, the last time you, um, you, you, you discussed him on the pod, I, I, I'm not, I'm almost, this is almost verbatim, I believe you said, I don't want to pound Danny Mendick. Guilty. But he has been good in spurts. Also guilty. Just be careful the way you word things, Danny, okay? <laughs> yeah, just, just keep that in mind. Defense looking better. Tony LaRusso figure out how to wear a mask. White Sox back at 500. Uh, can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this weekend. And weird early game tomorrow. Let's win that one, too. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Paul. Love to hear from a sober, uh, rested Paul Correct here enjoying two White Sox wins. Two wins. Wow. On a Sunday afternoon. Um so let's let's it's a good place to wrap it up here. We went a little long, and uh, let's lay out the roadmap for the rest of the week here. So Sox with that 10 a.m. start in Boston, and in Boston, and I know you guys don't want to recap at midnight Tuesday morning of a game that that completed hopefully about one o'clock on Monday. So we'll just take Monday night off from Yay! watching the Sox, and what we'll do is you see what time the, the start times are for the uh, Cleveland series. I mean, uh, good but bad for us, yes. <laughs> Why is it bad for us? I mean, because we're going to be still at work. Yeah. it's. Yeah, we're, I'd rather just catch up on the DVR, you know, breeze through oh, it. Oh, you do that? You, you, I can do uh, that, yeah. Uh, like, you I, know. I can't do that. I, I was like, I did that once, and it didn't work out, so I'll never do it again. Well, we, we will be watching in the control room at work, so it's not like we'll be totally out of tune here. But, you know, ideally, that those recaps will be posted up by 9 o'clock each night. So I think our, our next show will be post-game 
Tuesday evening after the Sox-Indians game. So I, I think that'll be our next broadcast. It makes the most sense. You guys will hear us uh, as close to you know at the end of the game as possible. And, uh, yeah, it's and, a, kind of a by funky... the way, guys, it's it's Rodon Plesak again, and those guys start at 5-10. Ugh. Yeah, so what do you think? I wish they were on the score again so we can get off early. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And leave work too. So I think that makes sense for this week. We'll, we'll recap the Indian series as close to, as we can, kind of how we did it last season where we gave you a post game uh, as, as close to the end of the game as possible. Then we'll kind of get back on a, on a newer schedule. Uh, we have to figure out what we're going to do on Thursday's uh, show, though. They are off Thursday. We'll figure it out. We'll be fine, Coach. And uh, that's all I got tonight, Herbie. And I uh, hope you guys have a great Monday. And uh, happy Patriots Day to everyone out there. That is Chris Tannehill. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Tannehill. Me, my name is Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 on Twitter. And our show is called Locked on Socks. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and go to our Facebook, sorry, Facebook, goodness gracious, <laughs> YouTube page right now and subscribe. And also hit the notifications bell so you can know when we drop this video. So for Chris Tannehill, my name is Herb Lawrence. I already gave you the phone number for the voicemail, and I gave you the, the email. So go and use those or rewind this. But thank you for listening to Locked on Socks.